stumbled across this quote uh, this week, um, and it goes something like this. Uh, Isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but when I look back, everything's different? Um, I think that's... I wish I could have the... God had granted me the ability to write stuff as perceptive and profound and pithy as that. He hasn't. Uh, That's allegedly, uh, I haven't been able to trace down the reference, but it's allegedly something that C.S. Lewis wrote. But this week I have rediscovered the truth of that statement. As after a few weeks holidays, I was copying, uh, backing up some of the photographs that were on my phone onto my computer and placing placing them alongside photographs from previous years and doing a little, a little bit of comparing and contrasting. Uh, nothing seems to have changed, but then you look back and everything's different. Uh, so m- my little boy, Samuel, is not so little anymore. He's grown. My hair's got way grayer than, uh, at, a, at a frightening rate. Uh, my six-pack has evolved, let's put it that way. Uh, there's change, change. We're all, change. We're all constantly changing Uh, that's not always a bad thing. Often it's a good thing. Uh, But sometimes it is a bad thing. We're we're changeable creatures. We're changeable creatures. But it's not just me. It's not just me. I have permission for one of these. I have no permission for the second. Permission for the first one. We're all changing. It's not just me. I have permission for that one. Cute. That is our office manager, Lauren. Uh, (laughs) The, the skinny athletic one there at the back, who maybe wasn't always that. Let's just leave it that, that hanging. Okay, so change, big changes. Uh, the second change, I have no permission for this. Anyone know who that is? Anyone know who that curly-headed <laughs> Mr. Golder, our, uh, our caretaker? Okay, big changes. We're all changing. We're all changing. Um, Of course, it's uh, not just me, it's not just us, and we're not just changing physically. We're not just changing physically. Uh, Of course, we are changing physically, but uh, it's not just that we start off small with chubby cheeks and really cute, and then we grow into the sort of adolescent hormones with lots of pimples uh, and voices that are changing for boys. Um, It's not just that then we grow old, with pains and wrinkles and cataracts, but we're also changing in all sorts of other ways, all sorts of other ways. Uh, Our circumstances are constantly changing. Our ideas are constantly changing. Our affections, what we love and value, are changing. Our allegiances are constantly changing. Uh, Some of you may remember the story of uh, Diane Abbott, who is the Labour MP, Uh, the trouble that she got into last year when, uh, as Shadow Home Secretary, she was put on the spot and asked to explain comments that she made back in the 80s in in an interview where she spoke in support uh, of of the IRA. Uh, And she had a a very carefully crafted answer to that. She simply replied to Andrew Marr on TV. She said... Uh, just as my hairstyle has changed from the 80s, so my views have changed from the 80s. And she's right, doesn't she? she we, we change, we evolve. Um, just as our bodies change, our ideas change, 
Um, Our values change. Uh, That's what it means uh, to be human. We are changeable. We are changeable creatures. We live in a world of constant change. But the Bible's message is very, very clear. While we are constantly changing, God does not change. God does not change. And um, I want to try to convince you that both that's what the Bible teaches and that that's a wonderfully good thing, that God's not changing, that God is constant. I want to do that by just sharing two big ideas with you. Number one are just describing what the Bible teaches and uh, under the kind of idea of our unchangeable God. And then secondly, why that's a good thing, because we have an unchangeable hope our unchangeable God, and our unchangeable hope. Now, if you're a guest here this morning, what we normally do at this point is I'm normally taking a book of the Bible and I try to work systematically through it. That's what we normally do. Uh, But this week we're going to be skipping around the Bible a little bit more. So if you're not familiar with navigating the Bible, please don't worry because hopefully all the words will appear uh, on the screen behind me. Our first big idea then is uh, our unchangeable God. The Bible describes God as being unchanging in a whole bunch of different ways. But I want to just pick out four for you. Four ways in which our God is unchanging. First, God's life is unchanging. This is maybe the most difficult idea for us to grasp, but this is the first one. God's life is unchanging. I want to read just from uh, Psalm number 102. Um, Anita already read some of these verses to us. Um, Let me read them again. Um, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment or a robe, uh, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded, but you remain the same. And your years will never end. Uh, We have all sorts of stresses and worries in life. Uh, We have all sorts of things that cause us anxiety about our work, about our health, about our children. There's also about, about, tons of things that you are concerned about this morning, no doubt, like me. But I would hazard a guess that none of you, none of you woke up this morning and were concerned that the ground, when you put your weight on it, would give way. Nobody worried about that, I would guess, this morning. Nobody worried this morning that there might not be a sky over your head. Those are givens. Those are things we just expect to be certain and secure and reliable every single day, that the ground will be firm underneath my feet, that the sky will be there above my head. What the psalmist is doing, the writer of this ancient song, is he is saying that while those things, we may think of them as certain and secure and reliable, compared to God, they're not. He is the one who is ultimately certain, ultimately secure, ultimately reliable because the earth and the sky will wear out. They'll wear out. They'll have to be changed. 
like a pair of jeans with a hole in the crotch. You're just going to have to change them. They've worn out. He uses this idea of a robe. Uh, some of you who've been away on holidays, no doubt, uh, looking at this esteemed crowd. Uh, some of you, no doubt, stayed in a really nice hotel. And you can know it's a really nice hotel when it supplies those, you know, those white bathrobes, right? You can put them on after you shower and kind of lounge around for a bit. You know you've made it and you're living the good life when you're doing that. But you don't go out in that, do you? You don't go out in the bathrobe. No, you slip that off and put on your outside clothes. And anybody can do that. Young person, older person, anyone can slip out of a robe and put on something else. Well, just as that is easy for us to do, it's just as easy for God to slip out of this cosmos and put on a new one. They will pass away. But God is certain, secure, and reliable. The psalmist praises God for two reasons, really, in these verses. He praises God, number one, because he is eternal. He is eternal, verse 26. They will perish, but you'll remain. God lives forever. We considered that last week and why that's good news. If you missed that, it's on the recordings on the website. Check it out, uh, where I try to argue that that's good news for us, that God lasts and lives uh, forever. Uh, But the psalmist then takes a second step. The songwriter takes a second step. Not only will God live forever, but he is the same forever. But you remain the same. Verse 19, you do not change. You do not change. What do we mean by the fact that God does not change? And why is it not just that God doesn't change, but that he cannot change? That he cannot change. Uh, I came across this quote this week from a guy called Francis Turretin. Uh, he was a successor uh, to John Calvin in the, the training institute in Geneva um, back in the 1600s. And this is a brilliant statement. He said, he, that is God, um, he cannot change for the better because he is the best, nor for the worse because he would cease to be the most perfect. He cannot change for the better, because he's already the best. Uh, And he cannot change for the worse, because then he would cease to be perfect. You see, when anything changes, or when anyone changes, they're either getting better or worse, or they're expanding or contracting, They are maturing or developing or diminishing. Those are your only options. It's either progress or regress. Those are your only two options if there is change. But the Bible's message is really clear that God is perfect. God is perfect. And he cannot change. He cannot change. Uh, There is no untapped potential in God. There's nothing missing that he needs to fill up. There's nothing that he has that's bad that needs to be removed. God's perfect. He cannot change because he's the best. and uh, He cannot change for the better because he's the best. And he cannot change for the worse because he would cease to be perfect. Do you see how God is radically and utterly different from us? That's the point of our little series. Just pausing to marvel at how God is radically different from us. 
He doesn't grow older. He doesn't uh, gain new powers. He doesn't benefit from new insights. He doesn't get stronger or weaker or wiser. He cannot be improved and he cannot diminish. God's life doesn't change. Doesn't change. Why? Because he's perfect. He's perfect. Second thing, uh, aspect of the Bible's teaching about how God cannot, doesn't change. His life doesn't change. Secondly, God's character doesn't change. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 17. When tempted, no one could say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. If the first passage contrasted, showed how God is different from creation, it will pass away, but he won't. This passage stresses that God is different from his creatures. We are changeable. We are changeable. The ways that is described in this passage that we change are regressive. They are bad changes. We are blown around by our own evil desires, enticed away so that desire gives birth to sin, sinful thought, sinful behavior, sinful words, and then sin gives birth to death. Do you see the, you see the growth there? You see the change there? Desire to sin to death. That's what we're like. That's what we're all like, if we're honest. Enticed away, blown off course by our own evil desires, but God is not like that. God is not like that. He is not overpowered by his desires like that. He is not changeable. And that means God never acts out of character. God never acts out of character. We see that sometimes, don't we? I think we've all seen it at some point, where you see sensible people you thought were sensible, wise people then surprisingly go off and do things that are out of character, you thought, that are foolish and stupid and wrong. Uh, I was really struck by that. Uh, Someone I respect a lot. Uh, I read a little bit about him. Um, But he did something out of character um, that was quite disappointing. Um, Some of you might know the controversy that surrounded uh, David Moyes last year. David Moyes, the ex-Everton, the ex-Man United, the ex-Sunderland, the ex-West Ham manager, you know the guy. Uh, uh, When uh, last year he was uh, managing uh, West Ham, he got into trouble for some comments he made right at the end of a BBC interview with Vicky Sparks, uh, the reporter. Um, He thought the camera had stopped rolling, and so he said these words, and I've, I've looked at the video, this is what he said, Uh, You were just a a wee bit naughty there at the end, he said to her. Uh, So just watch yourself, uh, or you might uh, get a slap next time, even though you're a woman. That foolish comment cost him £30,000 as he was fined by the FA. 
He later went on to apologize to Vicky Sparks, who totally accepted his apology um, as just a foolish, out-of-character comment. He went on in a, in a press conference to own it uh, and said it was wrong, inexcusable, I'm sorry. Uh, and he described his comments as out-of-character, out-of-character. That is not who I am normally. Um, and we all recognize that, don't we? That you put, under, put us, any of us, under real stress, under real pressure, uh, when we get really angry or really depressed, we say and do things that seem to be out of character. Now, it's debatable whether it's really out of character or not. That's not we'll not get into that. Um, but what I want you to see is that God is not like that. God is never like that. He never acts out of character. He is constant. He is never stressed, never overcome by anger that he flies off the handle, never depressed, never frustrated, and so he, that he might ever do anything out of character. God's life doesn't change. His character doesn't change, unlike ours. Thirdly, God's word doesn't change. His word doesn't change. Isaiah 40, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass wither, withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord or the word of God endures forever. The word of God endures forever. God's word is constant. Uh, someone else who got into trouble just a couple of weeks ago seemed to be like a record of people getting into trouble. Uh, it's a warning for us all, I suppose, about what we say. Uh, but someone else who got into trouble just a few weeks ago was uh, James Gunn. Some of you might know who James Gunn is. James Gunn is the director uh, of two of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And midway through making the third one, was removed from being the director by Disney Studios because they discovered some comments that he had tweeted, uh, comments that were provocative, that were offensive, that were at the very least distasteful. Uh, But the, the, the striking thing was he made those comments 10 years ago. So he was fired for comments that he made 10 years ago, a warning for all of us who use social media. You cannot delete what you put online. It may come back to bite you. Just a bit of a warning. And that's certainly what happened uh, with James Gunn. We have all, of course, uh, he, again, he apologized. He apologized publicly. Uh, but it wasn't enough to save his job. And he was fired. Um, I think we all would need to have a little bit of sympathy for Mr. Gunn. I think we've all said things that were careless, that were insensitive that were offensive, maybe even insulting to people in the past. I think we'd all have to admit that. But our words are more unstable than that, aren't they? That we change, we change our mind on things we say in the past, things we thought were right in the past, we say them and now we regret that. But our words are even worse than that, aren't they? Because we make promises, we make promises, and we break them. We break them sometimes because we're not able to keep them, We break them many times because we don't want to keep them. We are changeable creatures. 
And that is seen in the fact that our words are changeable, unreliable, and often wrong. Uh, I think you can see that it's, we're, we're just coming to the end of, uh, I'm a football fan, coming to the end of all the, the transfer window. Uh, and you can't help but be struck by the fact that these contracts that players and clubs sign for five years or six seasons, they're not really worth the paper they're written on, are they? You certainly wouldn't put your mortgage on the fact that because a player has signed a contract for five years, that he will definitely be at the club in four and a half, will you? If he has a bad season, it's all up for debate, isn't it? Our words are just so unstable. But what uh, Isaiah wants us to see is that God's words are not like that. God's words are not like that. God is eternal, perfect, and unchanging. And so he never needs to issue an apology for comments he made in the past. His words never need to be corrected or can be improved upon. Nothing he says is ever out of date or irrelevant. See that? If he is perfect, if he knows the beginning and the middle and the end, then what he says is utterly and completely trustworthy. And more than that, He will never change his mind. He will never go back on his word. And so it can be absolutely trusted. Although there's many people today who would deny those words, wouldn't they? They would deny those words. There are lots of people that you rub shoulders with, that I rub shoulders with, who want to say exactly the opposite of that. God's words are God's words in the Bible. They're out of date. We're so primitive, regressive. We've moved on. We've matured. We We don't need those primitive words anymore. But then when you stop and think about it, the ideas that they share, the words that they write or speak, where will those words be in 50 years' time? Is it even possible that their grandchildren will look back on their words and think on their words as primitive, out of date, or irrelevant? Of course, of course. And so how do you know what's going to last the test of time? God's words are going to last the test of time. Because God is unchanging. His life doesn't change. His character doesn't change. His word doesn't change. And then fourthly, his love does not change. His love doesn't change. Now, I would guess most of you... No, let me, let me take, take that back. Some of you may know the Shakespeare story the great love story of Romeo and Rosaline. Okay, Romeo and Rosaline. I didn't know this. I'm no Shakespearean scholar, but I I didn't know that if you start reading Romeo and Juliet, where does the play start? Where does the great tragedy start? It starts with Romeo absolutely besotted by not Juliet, But Rosaline, he's in love with Rosaline. In fact, his mother sees that his tears are adding to the dew of the morning. His sighs are filling up the clouds in the sky. Uh, And when a mate comes along and says effectively, dude, there's more fish in the sea, you need to chill out. Um, He says, he says, oh, fairer than my love, the all-seeing sun never saw her match from the first day the world begun. More fish in the sea? Are you kidding? 
She's the best. There is her and only her and forever her. And then he meets Juliet. Then he meets Juliet. So it starts off with unrequited love as he's totally besotted with Rosaline, thinking, I'll never, I'll never find anyone like her. And then he meets Juliet and says, Did my heart love till now? Forswear, for never saw true beauty till this night. All his love uh, for Rosaline just evaporates, and he's totally besotted with Juliet. And you think, boy, he's a wee bit unstable, isn't he? Uh, in fact, as you read the play, you see that Juliet actually needs a bit of convincing that he's serious. Um, you see, we, as you read the story of Romeo and Juliet, we, we see that one of the big lessons is love is wonderful. Human love is wonderful. It's intoxicating and it's brilliant. But we also learn, if you read it carefully, we also learn that love is changeable. It grows cold. It dies. It evaporates. But what we need to see, however, is that God's love is never like that. God's love is never like that. Um... One writer, Gary Williams, writes this. We know sometimes with shameful and painful clarity that human love can be short-lived and changeable. The, the story of the Bible, however, is that God's love is constant and unchangeable. Constant and unchangeable. I think we see that all over the Bible story. Um, but one of the places uh, we see that, I think, most clearly is in the great parable of the prodigal son that Jesus teaches in, in Luke 15. Isn't it wonderful? The story of the father, the loving father who loves both his sons and is alienated from both sons. But the first son in particular is the one who insults his father. I wish you were dead so that I could have the, the inheritance. He gets the inheritance, ruins the relationship, runs off, lives a rebellious life, a rebellious, arguably self-harming life. He does that. But then he comes to his senses, comes back, and what does he find? A judgmental, harsh dad with his arms folded and his foot tapping, wagging his finger then. Not at all, not at all. You see in the story that the father has not changed. He is still as loving as he was at the very beginning of the story. There to forgive, there to welcome, there to restore. And Jesus is saying that God the Father is like the Father in the story. He is unchangeable in his love. When anybody, anybody, no matter who you are or what you have done, when you and or I come to our senses and we come back to God and we admit that we've got it all wrong, that we've behaved shamefully, or when we ask for forgiveness and when we express our desire that we want to live in relationship with God now and forever, what will we discover? Well, we'll discover that the true and living God is a God of love, a God of forgiveness, a God whose arms are open wide to welcome us in. That's what he's like. 
a God of unchanging love. I don't see him here this morning, but uh, Eddie Bailey, who was um, leading a few months ago, leading our service, taught us half of a psalm in the morning service to memorize. Uh, I wonder if you can remember. Psalm 136. Anyone want to recite half the psalm for me? His love endures forever. That's half the psalm. The psalm is, I see, a record of the the rebellious history of Israel. But after every single line, you get this refrain, this repetition, his love endures forever. You see, it's not just God's word that endures forever, but his love endures forever. Despite rebellious Israel, all that they've done that should have forfeited God's love, that should have led to them being rejected and cast off, despite all that they've done, when you come back to God, you discover that his love endures forever. His love endures forever. I think that's incredible comfort for those of us who are already believers. We've already admitted our guilt, asked for God's forgiveness, expressed our desire to live in relationship with God forever. But we still keep getting it wrong, don't we? We still keep messing up. And what we celebrate every Sunday morning as we gather around the table together, as we remember when we come back to God, these elements of bread and wine remind us that his love endures for us forever. His love endures forever. Our unchanging God then. His life doesn't change. His character doesn't change. His word doesn't change. His love doesn't change. That's good news. I could stop there. That's good. That's good news. We could just stop there and celebrate. But I want to push it just a little bit further. Why is it such good news that God doesn't change? Well, I think simply put, because we have then an unchanging hope. An unchanging hope. Uh, I want to just show you that in two ways there's two sort of sides to that coin that I want to just pick out just for a moment two ways that we have an unchanging hope first our longing for sameness will be satisfied our longing for sameness will be satisfied you see we find great comfort in sameness and stability. Uh, the little book that has inspired the series, that has accompanied the series, Jen Wilkins' little book, um, she gives a brilliant example of the comfort of sameness. I put the reference on the screen behind me. Um, some of you, I think, will be able to identify with this. Certainly I could as I read it. She writes, uh, my grandparents' house in Pittsburgh was a place where I always felt like time stood still. In that comforting dwelling, not a single knick-knack ever stirred from its location. Every visit, visit promised sameness, the same smell of creosote from the driveway, the same meals at the same, on the same dishes at the same table. Uh, at dinner time, the same after dinner, the same board games. The same evening spent on the same patio watching the same fireflies. The same pink bathtub for soaking. The same antique sleigh bed for dreaming. Heaven. 
On my last visit to Pittsburgh, I drove to their wooded cul-de-sac and parked at the curb. My grandparents had been gone for some time, but I wanted to see the house and remember. There was nothing to see but forest. A neighbor wanting a larger lot had purchased the house and had torn it down. It bothered me how much the change bothered me. How could someone bulldoze heaven for heaven's sake? Do you see there's comfort in sameness, isn't there? If you have great grandparents, if you have a great teacher, a great coach, a great boss, you want that coach or that boss to stick around forever. If you have great grandparents, you wish they would live forever. But they don't. But they don't. They grow old. They move on. They die. And sometimes they even fail us. And we feel disappointment. Because there's a longing hardwired into us for sameness. For sameness. Someone who will be there who's good and perfect, but they'll be there always. We long for that, every single one of us. And what the Bible is saying is that with God, you have that. You have that. He never fails. His character doesn't change. Um, His word doesn't change. His love doesn't change. He is immovable in his goodness, constant uh, in his mercy and and completely constant in his purposes. He will always be with you. He will never be against you. He is immovable in his mercy, constant in his compassion, and dependable in his love. You see, that longing we have for sameness can only be satisfied ultimately with God. And that's what the gospel, the good news about the Lord Jesus offers us. And so our longing for a, a, perfect, a, a permanent relationship with a perfect person in a perfect place is what's offered to us all in the gospel. And I think that's an incredible comfort. That's an incredible comfort. The hymn writer puts it like this. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great comfort. Our desire for sameness will be satisfied. But the flip side of our hope, because of an unchangeable God is that our desire for change can be satisfied. Our desire for change can be satisfied. We've just charted out very briefly all, some of the, not all, but some of the different ways that, in which we are radically different from God. He is faithful and constant and unchanging, and we are fickle and unfaithful and unreliable in our words, in our promises, in our purposes. And when we're confronted, I think, certainly me, when I'm confronted, whether by someone else or by my own conscience, about my own failure, uh, my own fickleness, 
my own wrongdoing, when I have been enticed, blown off course by my sinful desires and done and said something that's wrong, when I've been convicted that that's true of me, there's an inbuilt temptation in all of us to say, that's just who I am though. That's just who I am. I'm fixed. I can't change. This is going to be a battle that I always, always, always have. This is going to be a constant feature of my life, this failure in this way. Again, what we need to see uh, is that because of the gospel, because we have an unchanging God with an unchanging purpose for us to make us more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus, change really, really is possible. Change is possible for you and for me. Again, Jen Wilkins in her brilliant little book says this. um, One person does not change, and that is God. Just as my assurance of salvation rests in the fact that God cannot change, my hope for sanctification rests in the fact that I can, that I can. Again, incredible hope comes from the fact that God has an unchanging purpose for you. Yes, his love for you is constant, but he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to stay as you are. He doesn't want me to stay as I am. He wants to change and mold us and shape us to become more like the Lord Jesus. That's his unchanging purpose. And for us, for us that means change. That means change. That involves change. Certainly our bodies are going to change one day when this world, uh, history comes to an end, our bodies are going to be changed wonderfully. We're going to be given a body like the Lord Jesus, a body that is a resurrected body that's glorified, fit for the new heaven and the new earth where we will dance and swim and sing and do everything where we run out of time to do here. But God wants some change to be happening, a lot of change, in fact, to be happening before that day. He wants to be changing our hearts, changing our minds, changing our habits, changing our tendencies, so that we become more like the Lord Jesus. We are not fixed. We are not fixed. As we listen to to God's word, as, the, as we are conscious of God's presence with us by his spirit, as his spirit, by his power, begins to change us and reorder our loves and affections, we, be, we can and will become more like the Lord Jesus. Change is possible. And I think that's really, if you're someone like me, where you're conscious there's a lot of work still to happen here, then that's incredibly comforting, I think. We have an unchanging God. And because we have an unchanging God, we have an unchanging hope. We live in a world today where it's a world of constant change. Where we're so conditioned to look for the next new thing. There's, an, oh, there's always another post on social media. There's always another tweet. There's always another uh, Instagram photo for you to like or dislike. Uh, there's, we live in a world of a 24 news cycle where there's constant news and new things, a constant distraction. Um, 
And yet, at the same time, we're frustrated by the lack of change we see in ourselves. And here, in this true message the Bible gives us of an unchangeable God, we have the solution to both. We can find rest, permanence, stability, security, by coming to know the unchanging God. And when you come to know him and his unchangeable purpose for you, he will begin to change you. How is that possible? Well, it's possible through the work of the Lord Jesus. How is it possible that an unchanging, transcendent, awesome God would have anything to do with changeable, fallen and finite little creatures like us? Well, the answer to that is the Lord Jesus, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the only one who can bridge the gap for us to make it possible for changeable creatures like us to know and love and have an intimate relationship with a changeless God. And I think that's the best news in the world. Before we celebrate that, as we move into the Lord's table, uh, I want to pray for us. I want to pray that God would humble us. I want to pray that he would give us this big vision uh, of who he is, that we would marvel at both his character, his word, his love for us, and that we would respond by asking him to continue to shock us by his love, but also then to continue to change us. So let's pray. As has been our prayer over these past few weeks, Lord God, we we come before you now and begin by confessing by confessing first that our thoughts about you have been far too small. We ask please, even this morning, that you would give give us a real glimpse of who you really are as the creator of the world, as the ruler of the universe, as the one who is immortal, invisible, only wise, eternal and unchanging. Father, we thank you so much that your promises for us are unchanging. Thank you so much that you have promised that you will justify rebellious sinners by faith. And you'll not change your mind. Father, we thank you that you have promised to never leave us or forsake us. Father, we thank you that you have promised to bind up the brokenhearted. Father, we thank you that you have promised that what you've begun in us, you will complete to make us more like the Lord Jesus. And so we come this morning and we remind ourselves of your promises. We remind ourselves of the fact that you do not change your mind. And we rejoice. We rejoice. And so we pray, please, as we take bread and wine, where we express our smallness and our neediness, just as our bodies need food to live, 
so our souls need you to survive. As we, we gather, we express our smallness, but we also express our confidence in your goodness to supply. Thank you for giving us the Lord Jesus, the one who bridged the gap for us, the one who dealt with our sin, the one who uh, has the power to change us. So as we come and we eat bread and drink wine together, we say thank you. Thank you for what you've done for undeserving, finite and fallen creatures like us. And we express our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.